Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge, and my guest today is Greg McGregor. He's the founder and CEO of Bright Apps. We're going to have a little chat today. Greg, I always let the guests do their own intro. You know your story better than me. So for the audience who doesn't know you, say hello and tell about yourself and what you do. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, I'm Greg McGregor, uh, CEO and founder of Bright Apps LLC. We're a company that specializes in custom software development. Um, we've done an awful lot over the years, but over the more recent years, focusing on AI, we're really good at applying AI to help uh, large and small companies transform themselves using AI. So we do a lot. That's primary, primarily our main stay. Um, and then we've actually got some quantum networking we're working on um, and pushing out as well and uh, some other good stuff like that. So we really enjoy it. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Would you would you classify it bleeding edge, leading edge? I mean, some of that quantum stuff is pretty hardcore. I, I love reading about it, but I I was I was just reading a a little bedtime material about uh, quantum uh, key exchange last night, and you know, there's, there's just some some light fair before bed. So I'm I think I think one of the so I would say it's bleeding edge. Um, it's a very love hate relationship with me because of that fact. Um, on the quantum side, you know, I ran across um, some folks out at SK Telecom a few years ago, and it was pretty exciting what we could do in the field of cybersecurity. So, uh, yeah, we went on um, the government's version of Shark Tank, and we actually won um, for this stuff. So we kind of pushed it forward with the Navy of the Warfare of the Pacific, building out a quantum network with QKD and and our other quantum pieces. So, um, but I would say it's bleeding edge. <laughs> but uh, it, at the end of the day, the parts we're focusing on are the applied parts, which are actually pretty straightforward to uh, deploy. It's just, yeah, it's just an education gap. Yeah, it's it's fascinating stuff. You know, I uh, I went down the the rabbit hole of like prime numbers and you know uh, breaking encryption and all this stuff and before you know it you're just like wow like there's some amazing it's hard to get your head around even you know it, yeah i mean it, it is there's a certain aspect we're focusing on called entropy which really gives the strength of the encryption keys the encryption themselves data at rest data at motion um, which is actually fairly straightforward to apply but even myself being in cybersecurity for a very long time. Um, I started consulting very early. Um, it didn't really click for me until a few years ago in terms of being able to really have a big bang for your buck. So we're kind of pursuing that direction with our Q cloud. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And, and talk about some of the use cases of, of AI to, you know, sort of do that 
business transformation because I think that one's bled so much into the the pop, you know, sort of tech stuff that you can read in any newspaper or online source. And yet I, I bet if you approach any business person, like 99% of them could be like not even remotely explain to you how they might use AI to transform their oh. business. So, you know, like standard use cases, because I think like bringing it down to earth and I, I have some idea of this, so I'm, I'm okay. you know, sort of teeing it up to you, but that I think is something that is missing in that part. It's not as bleeding edge anymore. You can actually do this stuff. And there isn't, you know, plenty of AI and ML as a service, even. I don't think people know on a business level what to do with it. No, um, boy, I could go on forever. So I'll try to be short. You can kind of help guide me with whatever you want to hear. But uh, yeah, you know, we've been applying AI uh, for quite a while and doing some on, on the research side. But I've done a few um, uh, speeches with AFSIA, which is on the government side, talking about making AI more human approachable. Um, because it is at a point where, you know, it should be human approachable. In fact, our AI efforts um, on the government and maybe eventually the co uh, commercial side, well, I guess eventually on the commercial side, is really trying to bridge that gap. Um, we've got it so it's 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 really human approachable. A business owner can actually look at making use of that or an engineer, a non-data scientist. Um, we think that's a huge gap. We've actually partnered with a company called firepower concepts that does the education side. So they're going to help be able to educate people to bridge that gap. So it's not like I have to go hire a data scientist to make use of this stuff. Um, and then we're applying it out in the military at the most extreme uh, end in terms of just like capabilities and so forth, or we're still trying. Um, as far as transformation, I think our most successful one has been a fortune 500 staffing company. They're one of the largest. We've been there for several years. And, you know, the magic really is uh, in being able to find uh, opportunities to make things more efficient or, you know, replace tasks that people do and not think about it as like a big magical one thing does all, but it's more of like a slow boil for the transformation. So, you know, we've we've been there several years and we've taken, you know, in the staffing <clears throat> industry example, uh, we've been able to. You know, look at what a staffing professional does when a job job request comes in. You know, they might look at the company size, the culture, commute times, what industry are they in. Let's look at the skill sets. Is this where the you know person wants to develop their skills and on and on and on. And you know, it, it goes way in depth. But we're able to you know duplicate a couple of weeks of work in you know a few milliseconds. So now when jobs come in, the staffing professional has at their fingertips literally the best culture fit and everything else you know, to work with. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's, I think that hits on the main point to me, as I experience this stuff is like, it's sort of like uh, the opposite of garbage in garbage out, you know, like that it's so much now about use your human brain to put things in and almost the classification, you know, of the, the, the data. So feed the machine, the right things, use your, human instincts to collect and interview and then feed it into the black box and the black box can spit out better stuff. People like often make the mistake that it, it'll just, you know, you can plug in the AI key drive and, you know, fire everybody and we'll be good to go. Uh, that, that is in fact, not the case. <laughs> no, no, stop, stop right there. You're hundred percent on the mark. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why we partner with Firepower Concepts is to help people that aren't educated there. To, it's actually called hashtag human intelligence to be able to go through some, you know, the generals and the CTOs out there to go through and understand this so that they can approach it better for sure. 
Yeah, I used to say, you know, like we're just we have AI, you know, actual intelligence, you know. So like, yeah, yeah. Let's get, I like that. Get some work done. Yeah, fascinating stuff. You're so right on the. I, I think that <laughs> if I hear innovative right there, it's like we partner with a training firm. We actually help people learn things, you know, from a technology standpoint. Like that speaks to maybe lessons learned over time that. You know, in fact, technology is not 80% of the solution. So you must have run into this a few times. Well, yeah, I'm sure you have. And it's like, it's not always best to be first to market, right? Um, I mean, it can work in your benefit, but that's really costly, right, on the education side. So it, there's a lot of different strategies to deploy there to make you, make you successful for sure. Yeah. yeah. And so what what have you learned? You've been doing this, what I think I saw your firm is over 10 years old now, and you've been doing work in this space, you know, for a long time. So what have you learned along the way? You know, I, and it's hard to boil down a, a career of experiences into, you know, a little interview, but I ask people to do that anyway, because I'm just a pain like that. So. Yeah, no, it's perfectly fine. I mean, like I started at 12 years old consulting, writing uh, software to uh, uh, for businesses to track turning on lights, track motion in big security buildings and stuff like that. It's probably illegal today for child labor laws, but I just loved it. Um, my story is kind of in depth, so I could go all over in terms of investments, exits, and so forth. But I think like on the technology side and stuff, I think I've had a recent change and reflecting over, you know, decades of work and stuff. And I, you know, uh, decades ago, more than decades ago, oh boy, never mind, won't, won't go there. Uh, a few decades ago, uh, I remember being, uh, when I was younger, being challenged with a way to get mobile phones in the 90s to move around uh, Europe and the U.S. Because way back in the 90s, you, you couldn't go between one county or another, or you'd get a bill 120 days later. You couldn't, it just didn't work, so they'd shut you down. Um, so I came up with a, a prepaid wireless. And so I, I, you know, dreamed that up, pushed it out throughout all of Europe. And it was awesome. It was a great success. They, um, it was a huge booming success. <clears throat> and I've noticed along my career, I've gained more and more experience in a lot of uh, technology areas and so forth. But one thing I've learned, I think, that I've sort of lost, uh, now refound, um, that, that early vision where it's more all the things I can do and there'll be problems I'm going to solve along the way versus, oh, I can't do that because of this. Oh, I can't do this because of that. You know, so I'm really, really embracing the fact that, no, you really can. They're just problems you need to solve along the way. And that's my most recent thing for myself and where I'm at. So that's what's happening at Bright Apps. And that's why we're going after this really cool stuff. So you really can do it. There's no uh, no block of, uh, unless it's, I guess, you know, actual physics or laws of nature. But even yeah. that stuff, you're, you're bending a little bit of that with quantum. So. <laughs> Well, I mean, so right. That's a good example. Like, you know, you, you sort of get in your head about all the reasons you can't do it, which is one of the love-hate relationships. That's the love-hate I have with quantum, right? Um, but the truth is I can. So let's just go build some cool stuff and start showing it off. <laughs> you know, and then problems come up. action at a distance for encryption keys. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, so you you get to be the face of, of a thing, and, and it's, there's always a team behind it. And you probably have been, I, I'd imagine that you maybe have a similar experience to me that you know, like, I, I consider myself, I've ruined a bunch of startups and had some really bad ideas along the way. Uh, some were decent. And, but what I have done well along that adventure is collect people so that each effort is a better and better implementation of that team. Uh, that probably resonates with you, I'm guessing. 
I, you can't even believe how well that resonates. I mean, we are the team. Like there is no me or I. It's uh, you know, we've been around up to a decade here at Bright Apps, I believe. Um, but uh, the majority of the folks here uh, been working with for thirty years. 20 years same story right we just get better and better and better and we reiterate we learn from how we operate and and then next thing you know we're transforming fortune 500 companies with our experience and it's exciting where do the opportunities come from is it largely uh, a lot of people seem to build initially a services business like you would build you know like a lot based on your networking and your partnering and and different things like that. And I think the later you get in your career, the more you find like, cool, I can pull together stuff. There's always something to do. I know somebody, if I tell my vast network, you know, what I'm doing, someone will knock on the door. Is that still the the core of where your, your work comes from? You know, <laughs> we have a lot of internal debates, but I'm a firm believer that relationships are everything, period. Like there is, it's referrals, it's who you know, um, at the end of the day, you're partnering with another company if, who's your customer that you're making this stuff happen. Right. Um, and, you know, I've spent, you know, a lot of money over the years on digital marketing and so forth. And it's really good. Um, but the truth is it's it's exciting and it backs up for the people I have relationships with or maybe the new relationships, as an example, not the old. So um, we're, we're we continually push the relationship aspect um, and building relationships with our AI being more uh, human approachable, um, initially targeted towards the government, um, but then commercial. I think we're going to partner with some folks that are engineering firms that now can actually walk up that maybe normally do website development and now can do full stack all the way through AI to help a business transform using our stuff versus having to go deal with um, having to understand the data science and so forth. So we're pretty excited. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so what, what other lessons, you know, from the, when you look at the, I like to ask people, what were your speed bumps? Uh, which, which walls in your, you know, business journey did you hit at a hundred miles an hour and later, you know, have to shake the bruises off and uh, bad assumptions that turned into opportunities. And, you know, I like to dig into the real founder story. Oh, yeah. So let's see, we got 12, 18 hours for this thing i right, guess right exactly that's what i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you to distill that yeah. run it through your ai yeah really let me, let me think i think you know early on with that uh success at a, a wireless company we had started telephone mcgregor telemac we had some you know we built some products and had some success and money's money is falling pretty good and and life's good and, and kind of relaxed a bit and i think one of the first lessons i learned there was you need to continually innovate and productize new things because as the money started to dwindle from that product, we were behind the curve and we were back, you know, raising money going, Oh dear, this sucks. And then trying to get it going again. I don't think I've made that mistake again. So that was very painful because we had to go through another round, like, you know, get open around C or whatever and, and, and do that to, to, and then we went off with a prepaid speaking of investors you know, it don't, <laughs> I, I noticed you chuckled. So just understand the investment relationship. Uh, don't just assume that someone's going to give you money. Everything's peachy dory, right? You need to be able to help each other in partnership in that as well. And you need to make sure that the investor um, didn't go steal, you know, $10 million. And you happen to get an investment from part of that. And your company just went belly up. Like just because they have money, it's not a great thing. That, <laughs> that sounds like uh, that sounds like that's a good story. I don't know if you're allowed to share, but <laughs> yeah. I, 
Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we had uh, we've been working on uh, uh, biometric credit cards at the time, and so basically, we're trying to get rid of credit card fraud. So, you would touch your credit card, and you would have um, some of the information uh, would change either through a one-time display or through the network transaction um, to uh, help secure and make sure that it was actually you doing a transaction, right? We got near the finish line, and boy, was that a hard project! Oh my gosh, it was cutting, it was bleeding edge on every level. IP, whether it's you know you're trying to get literally a full computer biometric center and a credit card that can fold, um, you know, and and work and and not die in a couple of years, and so we actually got um, got it working, and we were running low on on funds, so. Yeah, we took investment from a from a fellow who had a number of companies, and we did our background and so forth. But you know, unfortunately, he had uh, uh, he had stolen from um, what was it like a fiduciary fund or something like that? Some of the money. He, I guess he had done that over the years and then cycled it back after he was successful. And little Ponzi scheme action. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one day, knock, knock, knock. Oh, that sucks. But what was uh, what was cool about it that particular time we went to get the money and the reason I was a little more we were more aggressive with that was because we were trying to buy up the IP before Apple picked it up before their phones uh, to put it on their phone so we had some deals in, in, in progress and then things took some time the knock came um, and then you know Apple buys up the IP and you kind of go well that was that you know it kind of sucked great idea uh, so there were multiple lessons there yeah <laughs> right timing is everything yeah oh yeah no you need luck period I don't care what anyone says <laughs> You need your, you could do everything right, but you just need that window of opportunity, a gatekeeper to open, a little bit of luck for sure. Yeah. How do you run with a margin for opportunity such that luck, you know, kind of you, you want to leverage luck in the right way? Uh, and I find that a lot of businesses, and I've done this myself, I ran too tight such that luck had to go my way. And, you know, if there was one, existential little problem, you know, in the universe that I couldn't control, you know, then I was screwed. And I, I learned that as a, a gut sort of risk mitigation thing. But I think those of us as entrepreneurs, maybe there's a way that you and I can share a stories or two that would help people not learn that by losing a million dollars. Boy, I, you know, I can identify with that. And I actually have that internal debate with my own staff still. And I drive them crazy because from their viewpoint, they're like, well, we're building this stuff. Let's go all the way to the goal in all the markets now. <laughs> and I'm right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that laugh shows the experience, right? You I'm say, sure, well, I'm sure your marketing and salespeople do not think that. But yeah. <laughs> So it's kind of like, well, uh, well, that would be nice, but you know, you throw all the chips on the table, you're done, right? If if something doesn't strike in that window of window of opportunity, so uh, for us, it's it's constantly about pushing that ball forward, making sure the business operations and current revenue can support those pushes forward. And I look for market pull, I look for customer pull, right? I look for that bite as I start doing the marketing and so forth. And then I'm, I've got the product for, far uh, far enough along that I can push that all the way through. I don't, you know, sometimes people call it all sorts of different things, but uh, I, I try to find a balance there and, and just push that stuff forward as needed. Otherwise you've blown all your cash. You've ruined your business, right? If you don't get the bet right. So it's a constant, it's, it's a constant, you know, and I drive them crazy too. Like, why is this important now? And it's like, well, you know, I've had a meeting with, you know, the CTO of the Air Force, for an example, and they kind of want to go this direction. So let's put that forward so we can show capabilities as an example. 
Um, so it's, I couldn't give you a foolproof, foolproof answer um, on that because it's it's like a little bit of black magic. Yeah, to uh, measure risk tolerance on the fly and resort your portfolio. I have experienced it as the maybe the opportunity to make order of magnitude less damage on my risk assessments. Uh, I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> you know, like I used to make, you know, six digit errors and now then, then some fives and then some fours. And, you know, and I try to, I, that's probably about accurate now. I don't, I don't think I tend to get. Now, yeah, I've three. done the seven, eight figure. Yeah. I've done the seven, eight figures. Right. And then it, it hurts. It's like, it's, yeah. it takes a long time. So you're right. It's like, you want to be six and five figure, right? You can definitely look at your, you know, you can remember your seven digit mistakes, you know, like right down to the second, you know, I, I like, I blew that conversation and it cost, yeah. cost me a yeah. lot of money. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> and so do you do like, I mean, you're talking about having these high level conversations. I'm sure like everybody wishes they could, you know, hang out with the CTO of the air force. Uh, that's pretty badass. And how do you, you still get to do technology as much as business, you know, cause like you, you were like in the weeds, right? Do you, do you get to, to play still and, uh, and not always have to do business development? Cause I think people often get stuck not getting to do what they love if they end up in the, the conversation seat. I, um, I end up doing both, which is really, pro it's hard and it's problematic, but to get some of these things going after conversation, like with any project, you know, it takes that momentum and everything's just like, you need to give wind in the sails to get stuff going. Right. So on a tech side, on an organization process side, you know, you get those things going and then, then the people take over and push it forward. So I actually real I'm, I'm an engineer by education um, and clearly have loved it since I was very young, but yeah, I find it, um, very beneficial to be in touch with at least understanding, but not necessarily being able to do all of the tech because it helps me make better decisions at the top. So, you know, um, junior AI, uh, person we have, uh, let's say he has, um, some ideas on stuff. I just want to understand what they're after, what the benefit is, you know, maybe look at the code a little bit and sometimes do some of it, but, but after that, it's very beneficial when I'm, I'm being able to bridge that gap in the business development as to what's possible, which is a risk mitigation on how much money is going to go out the door for a problem if you screw up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It is. Did you, did you go reluctantly into the world of business development from the engineering seat or did you actually kind of like that? That's a really good question. Um, I think up until recently, I've fought it my whole life. Starting younger, being thrown out there with the uh, these ideas about prepaid and other things that you know made significant world changes, I just kind of got pushed out there, and then I really fought it for a long time. And now it's like, okay, it's just just what I got to do, you know. And I'm actually enjoying it more now because I really just really love the tech, but I'm really enjoying the business development. I've always just absolutely loved the numbers with the running a company, how to run a company, the strategy, what to do and not to do. And I always prefer if someone else was the face, but eh, it is what it is. Yeah. You know? would, you, yeah. would you say you're a generalist that have, that just got on the first horse, you know, which was engineering, or would you say you're an engineer that had to pick up and, you know, learn all the other things? The latter. Yeah. I mean, I, 
at 12 years old was in my basement taking apart trash 80s well i shouldn't call trs 80s from radio shack you know wiring up my room with motion sensors and keypads and doing some cool stuff which led to that first actually consulting job so i just i, I never looked back it was like too cool consulting at 12 you actually were the kid that said you know i want to grow up and be a consultant <laughs> well i didn't say that i just liked the tech i never thought about it right it just yeah. was cool like oh we could go do this we could do that and I think that's when all the magic ha happened in my life. Um, and I just solved problems as they came up, whether a VC laughed at me because they, they thought I was a young, stupid kid and they're not going to give me any money. And then we went and made it anyway because we solved the problems. I think I'm getting back to that, which is making me really happy. Right, right. Are you able to – how do you think about things that you should self-finance based on the success of the the product or you know just sort of bootstrappy kind of stuff versus like go raise money? I mean it's almost like – if you can raise money, people think like, oh, I should, you know, or, but I, you know, I'm a huge fan of like, well, if something makes revenue, you know, that's the cheapest, best money you could ever have is like self-finance the thing. hundred percent, hundred percent. Now coming from some investor, more recent in the last several years, that investor garbage, right? Um, and investing is always challenging. You really need to partner with your investors. Um, but perhaps uh, uh, 100% me in terms of financing projects and stuff like that. And I'm doing that exactly like you had said. I'm really pushing those things forward so that, you know, as a group, we can have a really good, solid control over, you know, executing where we want to go. Because we've been together forever. We want to go do some cool stuff. Um, and that's our best chance of success. Um, uh, having said that, you know, I've always talked about if the quantum takes off or something else and we want to spin off a subsidiary or something else because there's a really compelling investor that could make it go like throughout Amazon, for example, or somewhere else. And I'm going to do it. Yeah, right. Take pieces of that and maybe apply that vehicle to it. I think it, it feels like. I don't know, like the the popular, you know, startup zeitgeist is you just have to do this that I'm going to go you measure it based on like every headline is not about we did anything cool. It's that, you know, we raised the $280 million series F and we're a unicorn now. And you kind of go like, but what else is there? You know, that, that feels artificial from the standpoint of like, did you set out just to raise money? You must've set out to do something. So, you know, God, this is, this is, uh, I'm loving this conversation. No, for sure. So, you know, caught up in my own head and so forth, learning things. It's harder over time to like, you know, branch out, do something new and cool. You're always stuck thinking about the finances, the risk parts of it. How much do I want to raise? What kind of investor do I want? And that's where your focus is, right? So literally in the last, maybe it's due to COVID. I don't know. The last six months or so I've said, you know, enough's enough. I know it worked before. I'm going after the, all the cool stuff because every time we get talking about it internally, everyone's excited. Like, this is where this needs to go. This is where that needs to go. This is what need, problem needs to be solved for the Navy. And it's like, great, we'll go there. Really? Yeah, I'm not going to go after $200 million. And then, you know, 18 months later, you know, um, you know, the whole story with all of that, you know, maybe down the road, if, if things are successful, I clearly would need financial partners to really go big on these verticals, um, or maybe as a whole. But right now, it's all about getting back to the basics. Yeah, right. Yeah, if you have a particular thing you need to scale quickly and you have a channel right. and it makes sense and, right. and there's a lot of hardware investment, you know, all those types of stuff. Like obviously you need, need money. I just think that it's, it's maybe a foregone conclusion that isn't necessary that people just Agreed. think of like, now I raised a bunch of money, so I got to hire a bunch of people just to spend it. And um, you know, it, I, I hope that that false narrative, you know, starts to 
like fade a little bit, you know, the, yeah, it yeah. just feels wrong. <laughs> so. You know, like, so you raise the money, you know, how are you supposed to go innovate? Cause you're focused on the $200 million and the staffing and the scaling. I remember at one satellite company I was at, I came in early on like fourth or fifth person to run um, engineering and so forth. And we got a few hundred million dollars in the dot-com days and so forth. And suddenly, you know, I think between three or four of us, we wrote the whole satellite networking system, you know, for broadcast um, you know, as a, as a, as the basics. Right. Um, and then when the big money came in, do you know what the next 18 months was spent? HR processes, organizing people around things. There wasn't a single release or innovative thing to push that company for, for two more years. Yeah. yeah and that's where your creative people start to just check out and go do the next thing anyway. Yeah, so. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. What yeah. have you learned about, I don't know, you know, the, functions around building a, a team and, and culture that you now look back and say, Oh, I wish I, you know, kind of did that at the beginning. Like what, what's the stuff that sticks with you? That's a good question. I mean, I, it's a hard question because it's, I believe it, my team is everything, you know, that's I'm, I'm nothing without them. And, uh, and we really get along well. One thing, you know, we went remote four or five years ago, because we used to have the Battle of the Bay Area where, you know, there's so many people in the San Francisco South Bay and the office would move around the Bay Area and other people would hate life and so forth. And so what I found valuable, I don't know, four or five years ago was, you know, the ability to kind of control your own life at home. And then we worked on digital tools like we have now to to uh, work. Uh, but then people got what they wanted out of life. They got to go to the gym, they got to do their horseback riding or whatever, but they still got their work done. They were happier. Then we would get together once a month and we wouldn't talk about work. It's about bonding and getting together, you know? And I think that was a hard thing because it's always like you want to talk about work and I want to push things forward. There's agenda and there's updates. And I was like, you know, no, it doesn't work. It really needs to be about people, you know, being able to enjoy some time together and, uh, and then get some work done. Yeah. I don't know if you ever had the experience, but like, you know, people that I knew forever in a work context, and I'm just like, I don't know anything about their family or their hobbies or, you know, it's weird how we would be encapsulated. And maybe some of that has been ripped out now because, you know, behind my uh, fancy studio curtain here is my disaster living room with, you know, kids toys and all kinds of crap in it. Right. And it's, entirely likely that you know during one or more interviews that my kid will just walk in front of the curtain and you know yeah. say hello and yeah. that used to go viral for a kid crawling into a video and now it's it's just like shut up you know we're doing an interview in here and things maybe have become a little more humanized i, I hope so you know i hope so I know that at least for, for us at Bright Apps, uh, taking that approach has worked well. I mean, sometimes not everyone wants to show up and that's, you know, they don't have to, they can just work. Um, but it seems to just trying to get that work-life balance, I think is one of my big goals and to really enable people to, you know, be prosperous, but then also have a life, you know, don't care where you live anymore. You know, like <laughs> some people that end up moving all over the country and, and now they're just happier as happy as can be and, and they're more productive. Right. Right. So you have to wear the CEO hat and you're worrying about team and financing and business development, and you seem to still be in product and tech, you know, so what, how do you manage the pie? And then you're talking about, you know, sort of life balance, which means you're not working, you know, super hustler, hundred hour a week. So like, how do you divide up your calendar to be the integrator like that? Well, you know, for me last year, uh, probably in 2019, it just was too, it was getting to be a lot, you know? So, um, 
you know, because I, I'm, I like doing hands-on work and I still do a lot of hands-on work for customer and, and still have to do the seat, you know, be the CEO. And like for the fortune 500 company, I do a lot of hands-on work cause I was the first guy in there. Right. And I love the people there. So I'm, I'm still hands-on for sure. Um, and then, then you go, okay, well, what time's left, right. To go, to go do anything. And, and I did struggle. So for now it's like, you know, I've, I've said, I don't have to push and do all that. You know, there's no, I'm in no rush. Right. I, I, I'm tired of having that rush, 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 rush. I just want to work more effectively and smarter. Um, so that's why we've taken a step back. I get to do, you know, I get to enjoy my hands on work with one of the customers. And then I get to, you know, work with our teams here to be able to put together this tech that we're going to go demo that everyone was waiting to see. You know, rather than going out there and evangelizing, we can do this, we can do that because we're, again, a, a software development company for custom work. So we're talking more about capabilities. We're now kind of transitioning some products and tools. So, you know, then we'll be out evangelizing after that. So I'm trying to, you know, eat my own dog food and, you know, balance myself. It's a struggle. Yeah, it's always a struggle. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't know if you find like I have constantly have work on the mind and shifting, you know, into a different context, which I actually know would be better for, you know, my work and my, you know, balance and using my brains in, in different ways, uh, not plowing myself into the end of the evening and going to bed and then waking up and doing it again. You know, it's like the intentionality of that separation and giving yourself thinking and creative time is so huge. Oh, it is. In fact, I'm a huge fan of just getting out and going for a walk, you know, because I've solved so many problems and things when I'm just not actually at my desk. That's actually how myself and one other person at uh, at this Fortune 500 started. We never, you know, we had some good ideas in terms of where this ought to go. And the first thing we did was leave the building. You know, we hit the coffee shop, bike rides, and that's where um, things started to really happen. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. So, all right, what's next? You know, I give everybody a chance to just play, play futurist. So you're already playing in the future. So I really want to know what what you think, you know, the next five years are going to look like with all this magic that you're doing? Well, I'm hoping, uh, my goal is to make AI approachable and human approachable. Um, so I've got a strategy to do that for businesses where anyone can make use of it. Cause I'm, I firmly believe that in the future, if you don't do some, have some form of AI, you're, you may have a problem. Most likely you'll have a problem with your business competing. I don't care if it's a AI chat bot to help customer service, something, you know, it just, solves a lot of problems. So my goal is to help bridge that gap there. Um, and then frankly, help the country in terms of being able to secure up uh, the cyber security with the quantum um, and the AI, because uh, we're, we're significantly lacking. Um, and we're constantly having problems and hacked. And so uh, that's why I'm focused on the government. I had spent a uh, a couple of years ago, I went to a, a conference and boy, they were just talking about their needs of capabilities was was bright app. So I said, OK, let's go do this. And when I really looked at, you know, where China, Russia and the rest were going with these technologies, I went, you know, I want, I want to come and help. So it's more. It's, so that's kind of where I'm coming from. I'm starting there. But then I think as a result of that, all this stuff will be beneficial to the commercial world and any small business to just accelerate and imagine and do some cool stuff. Really cool. Really cool. Well, Greg. Fascinating stuff. Uh, people, anybody wants to get in touch with you or the company, what's your preferred ways to do that? Uh, why don't you just email me, greg at brightappsllc.com. All right. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out. Tons of insights. Love it. And uh, good spending time with you. Yeah, it's it was nice. Thanks. Thanks a bunch. I really appreciate it. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.